Given the occasion, I believe that it would be quite fitting to give just a brief word concerning what we are about to engage in now as a New Testament church. And so I'd ask if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Paul's epistle to the Galatians, Galatians chapter number 3. I just want to give a very brief overview of what we are about to engage in as the Lord's church. Galatians chapter 3, and I'm just going to read two verses to you, beginning in verse 26. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, these are the words of God. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When the Lord established His church during His earthly ministry... He delivered unto her two ordinances. Those ordinances were baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now the Lord's Supper is to be an ongoing or continual ordinance, which the Lord's churches observe as often as they meet together. However, baptism is a singular ordinance. Uh, Christians only receive this ordinance properly one time. Baptists, historically, have been falsely called Anabaptists because they maintained uh, that if someone were to be truly converted and were then to come to join a Baptist congregation, but they had received an ordinance or a sacrament from another assembly, perhaps the Roman Catholic Church or perhaps a Protestant group that practiced a fusion or sprinkling, Baptists insisted that in order to be a member of the Lord's true church, you must receive scriptural baptism. And they were falsely called Anabaptists because they were accused of baptizing people that had already been baptized. But scripturally, we understand that a baptism that does not meet the scriptural criteria is not a true baptism. And so they were not Anabaptists, they were just Baptists. But we live in a period of church history in which these sacred ordinances are often distorted, and whereas the sin of perhaps four or five hundred years ago was placing a priority on the sacraments that exceeded what the Scriptures gave, and, and they made them efficacious unto salvation, we live in a day and age in which the ordinances are often disregarded entirely and viewed as unimportant to the Christian life. But I want to tell you that a trademark of true churches is the scriptural observance of these ordinances. And fundamental to your Christian life and discipleship is the reception of these ordinances. And if you have not received these ordinances, you have not yet climbed the first rung of biblical New Testament Christianity. And again, that is a teaching that is unpopular in our day, But yet it is a teaching founded upon Scripture, and it is a teaching that our forefathers have died to maintain. May the Lord help us to remember it and believe it as well. Now, in order to practice baptism biblically, we must first understand what baptism is. We must understand what it does, what it contains in it. And in verse 27, the Bible plainly teaches that to be baptized is to put on Christ. To put on Christ. 
And though that is plainly stated, it is not plainly understood by many. So I want to briefly unpack that for you. The language of putting on Christ is the language of union and identification. It carries with it the same idea of putting on a garment to outwardly adorn. It is a reference back to the Old Testament priestly garments. Understanding our distinctions between Old and New Covenants, we know that the Levitical priesthood of the Old Covenant were a certain designation of God's people, and they only were allowed to minister in the temple. Ah, but the blessed glories of the New Covenant exceed that of the Old, and in the New Covenant, all members of the New Testament church are made priests unto God. And those, when they receive biblical baptism, it is as if they are putting on those priestly garments and being made fit for the ministry in the New Testament church. The language is that of union and identification. However, the union in verse 27 cannot refer to inward spiritual union. It cannot refer to saving union because there is no act of man. There is no external ordinance. There is nothing that can be administered by the church unto the saving of your soul. Amen. Spiritual union, inward union, can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit who births His people again by a sovereign and immediate act of God. Amen. Some have falsely taught that this refers to an external union. They will then teach that you go into the baptismal waters lost and unsaved and condemned and you come out a Christian. I want to say to you that is not the gospel. You are right. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ teaches that salvation can only be accomplished by an inward work of God. However, baptism is an external and lively emblem of that which has already taken place internally. Therefore, we contend, and we see this in verse 26. He says, for ye are all the children of God by what? What is it that makes you a child of God? Is it baptism? Is it church membership? Is it the Lord's Supper? Is it tithing? Is it good works of any of your own doing? No, friend, it is by faith in Christ Jesus. It is receiving Him, receiving His righteousness unto the saving of your soul that unites you with Christ. And then in verse 27, follow the context, for as many of you. Who is the you in verse 27? The children of God in verse 26 that were made children by faith. Therefore, we believe baptism is a lively emblem and a picture of what God has done inwardly in you. And we maintain that only those who make a repentant profession of faith in Christ are the fit subjects. For this ordinance, we do not baptize those who are not of the age to comprehend the gospel. We do not baptize those who perhaps they want to join the church for social reasons or they want to join the church for a number of other natural qualifications, but they do not make a profession of faith in Christ. And we do not receive as proper those who have received, even if it be by immersion, those who have received baptism, but by their own profession, confess that they were unconverted when they did so. The only fit candidates for baptism are those who profess that this inward change has taken place in their heart. Furthermore, 
We also confess that it is baptism that inaugurates this visible covenantal relationship of an individual with the Lord's church. So no one is fit for baptism if they do not make a profession of faith in Christ and do not uh, bear forth fruits, meet according to that profession. But no one is fit for membership within the church and admission to the Lord's Supper until they have received the ordinance of baptism. Why? Because our God is not a God of confusion. But He does things decently and in order. And so this union and identification that is inaugurated by baptism is to picture that inward union. Note again that verse 27 follows verse 26. So essentially, Paul is saying, if you are a Christian and you have been baptized, you not only have spiritual union, ah, but you also have an external union with Christ through His new covenant church. But the opposite is also true. If you are a Christian who has not been baptized, yes, you are saved. Yes, you are spiritually united to Christ. But no, you are not a member of His church. And you say, well, if church membership is not that which saves me, then why is it important? Well, follow that logic with me, if you would. It is the sovereign act of God that saves sinners. So then, humanistically speaking, we could say, well, then why is anything important? Well, because the program of God is not about meeting your needs and making you happy and bringing you to a particular place in redemptive history. It is about glorifying Himself. And so He does things which glorify Himself, that we are able to partake in. Baptism, then, we understand to be a glorious privilege, but also a sovereign command from our Heavenly Father, who ordains that we follow Him, even as Christ received baptism to fulfill all righteousness. We follow Him in this ordinance, professing the gospel. See, the ordinances preach the gospel. And truly... Uh, truly, this understanding of baptism is the only understanding in which baptism actually preaches the gospel. We do not say, as the Presbyterians or some of the Reformed congregations say, uh, well, baptism is just a covenantal agreement with the church that we're going to raise this child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's great. We have a lot of young people in our church, and uh, there's two expecting mothers in our church, my wife included, and we want to raise those children up in nurture and admonition of the Lord, but that's not what baptism is a picture of. Baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why it is by immersion buried with Him in baptism, risen with Him to a newness of life, and in so doing, we preach the gospel. So what you are about to see is six preachings of the gospel. Now, these candidates of, of baptism are already, we recognize them to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have heard their testimonies. For sake of time, they did not give them tonight. I wanted to to be very gracious with First Baptist, and I'm so thankful that they've allowed us to use their facilities. But they have given their testimonies at Christ Fellowship these past couple of services. And we have watched them, we have got to know them, and we have seen the consistent Christian lives that they have lived. But not only after tonight will they be our brothers and sisters in Christ, 
They will also become visible members of the new covenant through the Lord's church. And our bond with them will grow even stronger. May Christ glorify His people tonight. May He be pleased with all that we do. I'm going to ask our brother to come and lead us in a hymn. And the candidates would please follow me. And we will engage in this glorious ordinance.